Two of the words that are hard for many people, including myself to say, are help me. Most people, I think, in our culture have a hard time asking others for help. It starts at a very young age. If you watch young children, very soon, if they're able to walk and talk, they say to their parents, don't help me. Whether it's in eating food, they say, don't help me. I've got this, even though they're making a huge mess. Or they're trying to make it up the stairs at church. They say, don't help me. I don't need your help. I can do it myself. And it only gets stronger the older we get. I don't need help. I can do it myself. And we do finally ask for help. We're we're typically asking for someone just to lend us a hand, to give us a, a little bit of help. We almost have the strength that we need to do it ourselves. We've seen a a little bit of help to get us get over the top. So let's say, for instance, you found a new piece of furniture or new to you. You found it on the street. But you need to bring it to your third floor apartment near up to very narrow stairs. And so you're going to risk life and limb for this free new piece of furniture and to get it up there. But you realize you can't get it up there by yourself. And so you say, I'm going to ask some friends to help me. You're not asking them necessarily to do it all, but you're saying, I I can't quite do it myself. I need some other hands to help. So would you lend a hand and help me get my furniture into the apartment? So often how we live. Self-reliance or maybe asking for just a little bit of help. Fortunately, we have a Bible verse to support us in this that says, God helps those who help themselves. Actually, that's not in the Bible. Most of America thinks it is. That's not in the Bible. In fact, the the biblical story is actually the opposite of that. The story of the scripture is more like this. God loves to help those who are willing to admit they can't help themselves. God loves to help all who will cry out to him for help. This morning in our passage, we'll see someone do just that cry out to God for help in desperation. And it's really a shocking, surprising story, but I think it will be helpful for us. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew 15. We'll be in Matthew 15, beginning in verse 21. You can find it in the Bibles near you on page 821. Page 821. I encourage you to open up a copy of the Bible or open up a Bible app just so you can see the text in front of you and you can follow along as we work our way through the text If you're newer to reading the Bible, the larger numbers are the chapter numbers. So when you open up the large number, chapter 15, that's where we'll be. The smaller numbers are the verse numbers, and I'll mention those throughout our time together. And if you don't own a copy of the Bible, we as a church would love to give you one today as a gift. And so at the back of the room, there's a table, a stack of Bibles there. So following the service, stop by there, just grab some Bibles, grab a Bible, take it with you as our gift to you today. So we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 15, beginning verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. His disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. 
She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven, and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. They all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. This morning in our text, we see this. Jesus' compassion is restoring, satisfying, and for the world. So look to him for yourself and for others. And we'll see in our passage four elements. So first we'll see surprising compassion. Second, restoring compassion. Third, satisfying compassion. And then last, accessing compassion. So first, surprising compassion in verses 21 through 28. We see in our passage that Jesus withdrew, we're told, to the district of Tyre and Sidon. This is a region along the Mediterranean Sea, and this is a uh, predominantly Gentile area. As Matthew, the gospel writer, tells us, something's about to happen, and he really wants us to take note, so he says verse 22, and behold. So whatever happens is going to be notable and significant. And we see verse 22, and behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out. So this woman is described as a Canaanite. So she's a Gentile, but not only a Gentile. She's a descendant of the ancient enemy of Israel, the Canaanites. So this woman would be the ultimate outsider to the Jews of that day, an ethnic and religious outsider. And yet she comes to Jesus. So here's Jesus in Gentile territory, now interacting with this Gentile woman. And we see that she was crying out, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And the sense of this is not that she cried out once, but that she's crying this out repeatedly. Over and over and over, she's saying this. This woman, this mother, was not coming for herself, 
She's coming for her daughter. So she says, have mercy on my daughter. There are few things like a motivated, desperate parent. And I would say especially a desperate and persistent mother. A number of years ago, our family was in Oklahoma visiting family, and so we went to a a college basketball game while we were there. And our son was in late elementary school, so he was thrilled by the whole experience. As we're watching the game, we started talking with someone seated near us, and they explained to us that if you wanted to meet some of the players and get some autographs, after the game, you could go back by the locker room, hang out there, and get autographs. Our son's eyes got really big. He was so excited for this. So after the game, we made our way there. We were hanging around outside, and initially there was no one else there. We're like, this is incredible. And when they come out, it's going to be us. We're going to get all sorts of autographs. But before they came out, the crowd around the room began to grow. More and more people are filling the area. And it becomes clear this is going to be more of a challenge than we thought. And then the players start to come out, and and our son's trying to make his way, and, and he's not making any progress. It looks like he's not going to make it to the players to get any autographs at all. And then someone intervened to help him. His dad? No. I stood back. His mom intervened. She was going to make sure her son got some autographs. So she grabbed her son's hand and began to sort of make her way up through the crowd. But that still wasn't working exactly. So she decided she'll resort to something else. So she began to say to the players, and really to kind of everyone around, he's from Boston, pointing to the boy which we're in Oklahoma now, so he did come a long way. So so we're sort of making the argument. No one has come further. So he said, he's from Boston, but not just once, repeatedly. He's from Boston. The people around are sort of looking at this lady who's who's saying these things over and over. Even the players are sort of puzzled looking at her. I'm standing back saying, who's that woman from Boston? I don't know. I don't know who she is. I would not do that. I, I was unwilling to sort of put myself at risk to get my son there. But mom, on the other hand, was going to do whatever it took to get her son to get some autographs because of her persistent desire to meet this honestly very small need of her son. That's a mother's enduring love. And obviously this situation in our text is infinitely more significant. We see this mother who's motivated, driven, so that she will not easily be denied. And we need to notice how she's referring to Jesus. Look at how she refers to Jesus in verse 22. She says, O Lord, son of David. These are very significant words. So though she's a Gentile, she knows enough to have an understanding of what the promised Messiah was going to be like. And she believes that Jesus is him. She calls Jesus Lord. She acknowledges his power and authority. And she believes by her urgent coming that Jesus has the power to do for her daughter what no one else could do. Who knows how long they've been trying to find help for her daughter. No one else was able, but she believes Jesus, the Lord, is able. This mother sees more clearly than the crowds, more clearly than the Jewish religious leaders, and even more clearly than some of Jesus' own disciples. But how would Jesus respond to this mother? And if we're honest, his response is surprising to us, even shocking 
on multiple levels. At first, Jesus didn't say anything to her. And we can't say for sure why Jesus didn't respond. I think that perhaps he's letting her words be said over and over so that they would be heard because it's the true confession she's making. He is the Lord. He is the great son of David, and he does have mercy to give. But Jesus' disciples were frustrated with her, probably because she's repeatedly saying this, and they want Jesus to send her on her way. It's unclear, did they want Jesus to meet her need and then send her away? Or were they saying, just send her away as she is? Jesus then answers, I think to the disciples, he says, verse 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, Jesus has explained this same idea earlier already in Matthew, Matthew 10, 5, and 6, as he was sending his apostles out into this short-term kind of initial mission, that Jesus was making clear that, that his mission was aimed at, directed to the Jewish people. And then from them, the good news of the kingdom was to spread to all the world, to all the peoples of the earth. Then we see that the mother comes close to Jesus, kneels before him and says simply, Lord, help me. We can feel the urgency, the desperation of the mother's words. And then we see Jesus answer, verse 26. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But if we're paying attention, this is a shocking answer. Surprising to us. It feels somewhat troubling. Does Jesus care for this mother who's so desperate? Will he help her? In the Old Testament scriptures, the Israelites, the Jews, were often referred to as God's children. And they, God's children, often refer to the Gentiles as dogs, the dogs. So Jesus uses this well-known metaphor in this brief picture. But notice the mother's response. Look down at verse 27. She says, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. So notice that she was not offended by what Jesus said. She agreed with him and then continue to ask for mercy. She's basically saying, that's fine. I know I don't deserve it at all, but all I want is some crumbs of your mercy. Just a little bit of leftover mercy is all that I need. That's sufficient to meet my daughter's need. So how would Jesus respond to her response? Friend, look at verse 28. Jesus answered her, oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire, and her daughter was healed instantly. Friend, we should see the strength of Jesus' commendation of her faith. He says, great is your faith. In front of his disciples, in front of others, Jesus gives this unique compliment to this mother. In the Gospel of Matthew, he only speaks of one other person having great faith. And interestingly, that also was a Gentile in Matthew 8. So here to this Gentile mother, this desperate mother, he says, you have great faith. 
What a compliment that remains in the scriptures through today. The great faith of this desperate mother. So Jesus heals and restores her daughter. Jesus gives to the woman and her daughter mercy. He gives to them compassion. And so we see that Jesus intentionally came to this Gentile region for a number of reasons. And at least one of those reasons was that he might have an encounter with this desperate mother. She would cry out for mercy and that he would meet that need. He'd be teaching his disciples and us a very important lesson. That Jesus' salvation, his compassion, is for all the nations. It's for all the peoples. This was a very important lesson for his disciples to get, but even in the early church, we see in the book of Acts, it took a long time for the church to wrap their minds around this idea that the gospel is for peoples of all the nations. And here we see a foretaste of that. We see in our text that this mother came to Jesus, but in fact, Jesus had already come to her. Jesus had made the trip to the Gentile region. So so it is true that she did come to him, but only because he had already come to her. From her viewpoint, certainly she saw it as she was coming to him. For this is how Jesus is always working. He's the one who comes to us. Jesus gave this woman, her mother, this mother and her daughter mercy that day, life-changing mercy for them. And the daughter was restored. But this would not be the end of Jesus' mercy. There was much more mercy to come. And mercy not just for this one family, but for the world through Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. As Jesus, the sinless son of God, would go to the cross, and there on the cross, he would pay for sin. He would suffer the punishment, the wrath of God that you and I deserve for our sin. He would die be buried, raised on the third day so that through his death and resurrection, he would secure this free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, boundless mercy, grace, and love of God to all who would receive it by faith. Listen to these beautiful words we saw earlier, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Friends, this is the message of Christianity. Mercy and grace to sinners like us. This was the reason, the mission for Jesus' coming, that he would come near and provide mercy, grace, and compassion. And friend, if you're not a Christian, We're so thankful you would join us this morning. And we want you to understand this is the story of Christianity. Christianity is not the story of self-improvement. It's not the story of just positive thinking. It's not the story of religious devotion. It is the reality that we need mercy from outside of ourselves. We need help, salvation from outside of ourselves. And Jesus came to provide that as a free gift to all. And friend, we would love for you to know that and consider Christ today. And friends, so those who are Christians never lose sight of the fact that we, you, are recipient of the boundless grace and mercy of God. And he continues to give 
new mercies to you every single day. So we see the surprising act of compassion from Jesus. It comes in a surprising way to a surprising recipient. And Jesus continues transforming lives with his restoring compassion. So we see second, restoring compassion in verses 29 through 31. And we see in our passage that Jesus moves to a different geographic location, now near the Sea of Galilee. We're told a few more details in the account of this in Mark chapter 7. And what we see is that Jesus has moved to what's called the region of the Decapolis, which is also a Gentile region. So very importantly, Jesus moves from one Gentile region to another Gentile region. So he remains in a region predominantly non-Jews are there. And we see that Jesus went up on a mountain and a great crowd came to him. We see verse 30, that they were bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put them at his feet and he healed them. And as a result, the lame are walking, the blind are seeing, and we see that Jesus shows compassion by restoring, by healing. We've seen these healings throughout the Gospel of Matthew. That we said that these were signs of the king. Jesus the king was doing them, and these are glimpses of what his kingdom is like, and especially what life will be like when his kingdom comes in full. We're not yet there, but there is a time coming. These healings were truly life-changing that day. Someone who was blind could now see. Someone who couldn't walk could now walk. Life-changing, but not eternity-changing. For all those who were healed that day would eventually die. But these acts of healing and restoration are foretaste of what life will be like for those who trust in Christ in the life that is to come, in the new heavens and the new earth. And there, there will be no more sickness, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more death. Every tear will be wiped away. And we see in verse 31 that the crowd was amazed when they saw these people being restored and they said they glorified the God of Israel. So this helps us to see that these were outsiders. If they were Jews, they wouldn't call him the God of Israel. He was their God. But these are Gentiles, so they're glorifying the the God of the people of Israel. Friends, the good news is Jesus still brings restoration today. Sometimes he does still heal physically, but not always. So primarily, the act of compassion and mercy, of restoration that Jesus brings is even greater than the restoration of our bodies because of the restoring grace of salvation. It's described this way. We once were spiritually blind. Now we can see. We once were spiritually dead, and now we are alive. And friend, make no mistake, that's an even more breathtaking miracle than the blind being able to see. And this miracle, friends, is an eternal one. For all who once were spiritually blind and can now spiritually see, that's an eternal gift that we'll experience in full in the life to come. So Jesus brought restoring compassion And as he did, he also satisfied the needs of the crowd. So we see third, satisfying compassion in verses 32 to 39. Look down at verse 32. So Jesus calls his disciples to him and said, 
I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. The disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish. And having given thanks, he broke them, gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. So Jesus saw the need of the crowd to, to eat. This basic need to be met. And Jesus had compassion on them. On all that were in the crowd, and through this meal, he satisfied them. So it was not only the Canaanite mother who would receive crumbs, but here we see the crowd receiving crumbs and even more than crumbs, bread and fish to satisfy. If you've been with us in Matthew, you may be thinking, wait, didn't we just see this miracle? Where Jesus fed a a great crowd. So is this just that same miracle revisited again? The answer is no, this is not the same. But yes, you did see a very similar one in chapter 14. So what's the difference between the one in chapter 14, the one here in chapter 15? It is that there is a different crowd being satisfied. In chapter 14, it was a Jewish crowd. So it was Jewish people who were fed by Jesus text today, as we have already seen, so not Jews predominantly, the Gentiles, non-Jews. And the question on this day was, would Jesus provide for these Gentiles, these non-Jews, in the same way that he had provided previously for the Jewish crowd? And the answer was yes. In the same way that he'd shown compassion and satisfied that crowd, so he would provide compassion and satisfy this crowd. Because Jesus the King came to satisfy and save some from all the nations. And friends, this satisfaction that Jesus provided that day was of a very real need, physical hunger. But God has created all of us with a, 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 a place that only God can satisfy in us to know and be known by God. But we, we try to satisfy that longing, that hunger in all sorts of ways. And some of those hold up for a while. Eventually, they all let us down. And friend, Jesus came to satisfy through his grace. So you found yourself longing, searching, exploring. We would just want to say to you, friend, that longing is real and right. It's an exhausting search, but Jesus, he alone can satisfy. And so the extent that you feel comfortable, we would love for you to Keep exploring that with us here at home. And so I pray that one day you would know the satisfaction that Jesus brings. We saw a few weeks ago that this temporary satisfaction of the meal points to a greater feast that is to come. It's referred to as the messianic banquet, a, a promised day when, when God's people in the new heavens and the new earth will share a banquet together. It's described in Isaiah 25, 6-9. Listen to Isaiah on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on the mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, 
the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. The reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Did you hear that in verse 6? The Lord of hosts will make for all peoples. That is, peoples from all the nations. So friends, this is good news for us. That at this future messianic banquet, some from every nation and tribe and tongue will be there finding eternal satisfaction with our king forever. Now this compassion of Jesus is not just out there for others though. It's also for us as well. So how can you and I access the compassion of Jesus? That's what we see fourth, accessing compassion. Across our passage, we see people accessing, receiving compassion, receiving mercy from Jesus. How? How did they access compassion? We see they came to Jesus. Verse 22, the Canaanite mother came out to see Jesus. Verse 30, the crowds came to Jesus. So how do we access compassion? We come to Jesus. And how, friends, do we come to Jesus today in this world? It is through prayer. As we speak to our Father who is in heaven, as we speak to our Savior and King, Jesus Christ, in prayer. And friend, this is the stunning privilege of being a Christian, access to God through Christ. So what can we pray for? Anything and everything. The things you wish you desired and the things you really do struggle with. What's really on our heart and what we wish was on our heart. We can pray about those things. And where can we pray? Anywhere and everywhere. And friends, what we see is what a good and wise and helpful prayer the prayer of this Canaanite mother. Three simple words. Lord, help me. And when she was praying, she was not saying, help me, in the sense of, I just need a, a, a hand. I've almost got it. I just need a, a little bit of help. That's not the sense of her prayer. It is, help me. I can't do this. There's no way I can help my daughter. I've tried everything. I've given up. I come only to you, Jesus. So, Jesus, would you help me? You alone can do this. Friends, this is the prayer. We can pray anytime and anywhere. We can pray it silently. We can whisper it. We can say it through tears. We can shout it at the top of our lungs. Lord, help me. From when you're weak and weary, pray. Lord, help me. When you are overwhelmed and nearly crushed, Lord, help me. When you're facing that same temptation to sin and you feel like you're about to fall, Lord, help me. 
When you lack wisdom, Lord, help me. When you lack patience, Lord, help me. The only thing that we need is to feel desperate enough to ask for help. Last week, I wasn't scheduled to preach on Sunday. One of our guys on our staff, John Josty, was scheduled to preach. If you were here on Sunday, you may have noticed that. You looked down the worship guide, said John Josty, but came time to preach, and I got up. Well, the reason was because as, as the week went along, John was not feeling well. It's kind of iffy. Was he going to make it? So finally on Friday afternoon, I said, let's, let's just plan for you not preaching, so it's better for me to start on Friday writing a sermon than to start on Saturday. I said, I'm going to go ahead and start now. Now, believe it or not, I usually start before Friday to write a sermon. It may not be obvious, but I actually do some work ahead in preparation. But so last week, I started on Friday, so I tried to work and prepare. But honestly, when I got up Sunday morning, I felt ill-prepared and insufficient. I hadn't been preparing to preach last week, but I had been preparing to preach this week. So this prayer was already on my mind. Lord, help me. So that's what I prayed last Sunday morning. Lord, help me. Help my, my lack of preparation, my insufficiency. Lord, help me. I also was at, at sort of the tail end of a cold and had, my voice was very weak. So I preached the first service and then between service, I was talking to people and, and a few people, my, my voice almost just stopped working. Like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through. So Brandy came and was next to me, and I said, please just pray for my voice. And as I stood there and sang in the second service, I prayed, Lord, help me. Just help me have enough voice to make it through. You might have been saying, Lord, help me. Let him finish early. Let his voice fall out. But, but, but I was praying, Lord, help me to get through the sermon. And by God's grace, I made it through. And the grand scheme, those are not earth-shaking prayers. It's not life-changing. What was significant to me is Jesus was faithful to that desperate prayer. So friend, where do you need help in your life today? Where do you feel inadequate? Where do you feel desperate? Where are you tempted to be self-reliant rather than asking your God for help? Let me urge you to take up this three-word prayer. Lord, help me. Now, when we pray in this life, restoration and healing doesn't always come in this life. And sometimes Jesus' answer doesn't look like what we had asked for. But the Christian hope assures us that even when it doesn't come in this life, our, our future is secure. And we'll experience this great joy, satisfaction, restoration in the life to come. And as I mentioned earlier, the people had come to Jesus, but they came to Jesus only because Jesus had first come to them. He came to the Gentiles, and then they came to him. And friends, this is what Jesus always does. He has already come near to us. He came to this world to seek and to save. And friend, if you're not a Christian, we would say that Jesus has come to you. That's why you're even here today. Because we don't think it's actually an accident that you're here. 
That's our hope and prayer that through these few moments, you might consider here the saving news of Jesus Christ. So friend, the prayer for you would be the same. Lord, help me, but it is the prayer for salvation. I'm saying I've tried other roads. Nothing has satisfied Jesus. Help me. Save me. But not only did the Canaanite mother and the crowds come to Jesus, but they both came bringing others. You see verse 30, that the crowd came bringing with them all who were in need of compassion. So people came and they brought with them family members or friends, people they knew who needed compassion from Jesus. And the mother came not for herself, but she came on behalf of her daughter. But friends, notice she's so identifying with her mother's, with her daughter's need that eventually she prays, she asks, Lord, help me. But by saying, Lord, help me, she's saying, help my daughter. That's how closely this need is to her own heart. Lord, help me and help my daughter sing. Friends, this is the opportunity, the privilege we have in praying for others. For we ask our Father that our Savior and King would intervene in the lives of others, that they would receive mercy. And friends, this is one of the ways that we join in the compassionate ministry of Jesus in this world, by taking others' needs to Jesus in prayer. So we pray for others. Lord, help them. Lord, help my lifelong friend who so needs salvation. You pray for your parents who don't know Christ. Lord, please help. Please save my parents. Lord, Lord, help my Christian brother who seems to be caught up in sin. Lord, help him. Lord, help my Christian sister who's suffering so deeply. Lord, help my neighbor. Lord, help my coworker. Help my roommate. Friend, who in your life is in desperate need of compassion and mercy today? Friend, ask the Lord to help them. What a beautiful gift we can give to them in asking for God's help for them. Friend, our Savior and King, Jesus' compassion is restoring and satisfying, and it is for the world. So look to him today for yourself and for others. Look to him for help today. 